This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 47, Deuteronomy chapters 24 through 27. Which begins with a case that if you've watched enough episodes of daytime TV, is not all that uncommon. A man marries a woman, consummates the marriage, but something is amiss in the bedroom. So he hands her a document of cutoff and sends her away, and she remarries, and what do you know, the second husband finds some issue with her as well, or he dies. Where Moshe diverges from Moripovich is that the first man is barred from marrying her again, quote, since she has made herself tameh for it is an abomination before the presence of Adonai. And since we're talking about marriage, the newly married man cannot go off to fight in a war, but instead he is to stay home for a year and consummate the marriage again and again and again. (laughs) (laughs) And then Moshe opens the commandment buffet again. Creditors are not allowed to seize millstones of any size in lieu of an overdue payment. And kidnappers of Jews should be put to death. And folks should be careful with tzara'at. And when you seek collateral for a loan, wait outside the debtor's house, and he will bring it out to you. And if the debtor is especially poor, you must return the collateral to him, especially if it is a garment, before he goes to sleep. He needs that garment. And you should pay your workers in a timely fashion. And you should not punish a father for the sins of his son, and vice versa. And when it comes to the most vulnerable, the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, you should not take clothing as collateral. Why? Because you were slaves in Egypt. And when you harvest your crops and forget a sheaf, or knock your olive trees and forget a bough, or cut off grapes in the vineyard and forget a vine, leave it. Let the stranger, orphan, or widow collect it. Why? Because you were slaves in Egypt. If you have a legal dispute, take it to court, and the court will render a fair verdict. And if you deserve the lash, you'll get it. Not a stroke more or a stroke less. While the ox works in the thresher, do not muzzle him. When a childless married man dies, the dead man's widow should marry her brother-in-law, and the son they bear will be considered the son of the dead brother, so, quote, his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the brother-in-law refuses, the widowed sister-in-law is to rebuke him in front of the city elders. And if the elders do not manage to persuade the brother-in-law, the sister-in-law then takes off her brother-in-law's sandal and spits in his face. From then on, the brother-in-law is to be known as the one with the drawn-off sandal. If two men brawl on the street and the wife of one of the men grabs the junk of the man attacking her husband to break up the fight, you are to chop off her head. Make sure to have consistent weights and measures. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way out of Egypt, and once all the work of conquest is done, quote, blot out the name of Amalek from under the heavens. You are not to forget. And once all the conquest is done, take the first fruits and take it to the temple, and then recite the following history lesson in the presence of the priest. An Aramean astray my ancestor. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there. As men folk few in number, but he became there a nation, great, mighty, in number, and many. Now the Egyptians dealt ill with us and afflicted us, and placed upon us hard servitude. We cried out to Adonai, the God of our fathers, and Adonai hearkened to our voice. 
he saw our affliction, and our strain, and our oppression, and Adonai took us out from Egypt, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, with great awe, inspiring accent with signs and portents, and he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, so now here, I have brought the premier part of the fruits of the soil that you have given me, O Adonai. And when you bring the tithe in the third year, there is a second recitation. I have removed the holy part from the house, I have also given it to the Levite, to the sojourner, to the orphan and to the widow, according to all your command that you have commanded me. I have not crossed over away from your commandments. I have not forgotten. I have not eaten of it while in sorrow. I have not removed any of it while tamely. I have not given any of it to the dead. I have hearkened to the voice of Adonai my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy abode, from heaven, and bless your people, Israel and the soil that you have given us, as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Chapter 27 begins with Moshe instructing the elders, once they crossed the Jordan, to erect standing stones covered with plaster, and to write on them, quote, all the words of this instruction. They are also to erect similar plaster-covered stones on Mount Eval, along with a slaughter site, and to divide the people into two groups. The tribes of Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Issachar, Yosef, and Binyamin on Mount Grizim, the mountain of blessing, and on Mount Eval, Reuven, Gad, Asher, Zvulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Moshe then instructs the Levites to come out and start cursing. Well, not exactly that kind of cursing, although it would have made for much more colorful and much more memorable sermon about cursing idolaters again. Can I get an amen? And parent insulters. Can I get an amen? And the fence movers. Can I get an amen? And the blind man abusers. Can I get an amen? And those that prey on the vulnerable. Can I get an amen? And... Mother rapers. Father stabbers. Father rapers. Father rapers sitting right there on the bench next to me and one day was mean and nasty and ugly and horrible and crime fighting guys are sitting there on the bench. Well, not exactly, but you get the idea. So, there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion. Let's get to it. Incidentally and coincidentally, a recent Radiolab podcast short deals with the curious convention of official weights and measures, specifically the kilogram. I'll put up a link to it at the Facebook page and at thenextjew.com. But this week, I want to talk about memory. And it's something we've talked about a lot, especially the episode about Amalek, where the Jews were instructed to remember to forget. In fact, uh, and we've talked about this before, the Jewish people are all about institutional memory. We as a people remember, remember, remember. But this week's portion gives us some insight into how we as Jews best remember. And that seems to be from reciting out loud. Memory is a curious thing, especially when its repository is the spoken word. Many have argued that when you recount your memory, that is, tell your story, 
it has a better chance of being passed down over generations because the act of transmission is policed very closely. The transmitter and receiver are both engaged in a rigorous task that requires the highest levels of accuracy. A written account, in contrast, is a much safer means of transmitting a tradition, but it's also open to multiple interpretations and distortions, and pressures from the outside at any point in the text production process, say, like when a hostile government forcibly bans your book or compels it to be redacted. Folks who researched reading in the ancient world tend to think that millennia ago, all reading was typically done out loud, either to oneself or to others. This process is believed to have continued until well after the transition from the roll to the codex and after the decline of the Roman Empire to around the 5th century CE when monks who lived in silence shifted over to silent reading. And we have numerous examples of this from sources across the centuries. Herodotus, who wrote sometime between 450 and 420 BCE, expected his histories to be read out loud. He began his histories with a sentence that has been translated in various ways, quote, Herodotus of Halicarnassus here presents his research so that human events do not fade with time. Another translation of the same line reads, quote, What follows is a performance of the inquiries of Herodotus from Halicarnassus. Socrates taught without writing and entrusted his student Plato to record his teachings. In the Phaedrus, written around 380 BCE, Plato breaks down the arguments for and against writing. He quotes Socrates, who said that, quote, writing will create forgetfulness in the learner's souls, because they will not use their memories. They will trust it to the external written characters and not remember of themselves. Writing represented, quote, not truth, but only the semblance of truth. Written words, quote, seem to talk to you as though they were intelligent, but if you ask them anything about what they say from a desire to be instructed, they go on telling you the same thing forever. Even worse, once spoken words are written, it, quote, drifts all over the place, getting into the hands of not only of those who understand it, but equally of those who have no business with it. It doesn't know how to address the right people and not address the wrong. Spoiler alert, the written word prevailed, but even now, when we have segued from the written word to the digital word, with the same hysteria and moral panic about the transition, one cannot discount the effectiveness of recitation for transferring material from short-term to long-term memory. Regardless of how much time has passed since Moshe and what we are capable of doing as a society in the 21st century, our brains haven't changed all that much. So when Moshe instructs the Jews who have yet to reach the land of Canaan about this spoken word ritual that accompanies the offering of first fruits and begins the process of teaching them the recitation which we continue to recite today, he begins a process of imprinting that, as I said, continues to this very day. Every Pesach, as Jews the world over sit around their Seder tables, they also recite the following paragraph. An Aramean astray my ancestor. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there, as men folk few in number, but he became there a nation, great, mighty, in number, and many. Now the Egyptians dealt ill with us and afflicted us, and placed upon us hard servitude. We cried out to Adonai, the God of our fathers, and Adonai hearkened to our voice, he saw our affliction and our strain, and our oppression, and Adonai took us out from Egypt, 
with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, with great awe, inspiring accent with signs and portents, and he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, so now here, I have brought the premier part of the fruits of the soil that you have given me, O Adonai. And although it compresses centuries of history, it recounts the Aramean, that is, Lavan, who tried to defraud his son-in-law Yaakov. So Yaakov and his sons and grandsons eventually ended up in Egypt, in a lovely retirement village in Goshen. So when the pharaohs changed, and suddenly we found ourselves enslaved, God intervened and liberated us and brought us, that is, the future us in Moshe's time and the past us in our time, to the land of Canaan a land flowing with milk and honey, and as a show of gratitude, we bring these first fruits. Got it? And, with each repetition, we remember where we started, and where we have been, and where we are going, and how we got here, and whom we have to consider and keep in mind, and yes, even think, because we didn't get here on our own. We got here because of the collective effort, work, and sacrifices of the generations before us. And we can't ever forget that or let up in the remembering and in the telling because the thing about tradition is that it only survives if it's told again and again. And the thing about gratitude is that it only happens if one is mindful of what one is thankful for. And a gentle reminder never hurt. Got it? As always, you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Tanakhcast. That's T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at thenextjew.com, where you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the iTunes Store, or at Stitcher Smart Radio, or at SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. You're invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 48 on the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 28 and 31. Y'all come back now, here. Yeah?